Welcome. This is Out of the Ordinary Books, where we believe that the books we read help us better understand the lives we lead. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And every week we share an Out of the Ordinary book and how it can help you make sense of your story too. These aren't book reviews or recommendations. These are conversations about some of our best friends, worst enemies, toughest coaches, most passionate lovers, and kindest teachers that line our bookshelves. We hope these conversations help you see the deeper story hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. Christy, I feel very South African this morning, and it is because I'm experiencing summer so far here at the beginning of summer, the same way I experienced the end of summer last year without AC. We are still without AC, so it's very South African in the sense that it is hot (laughs) and there is no hope of air conditioning. And (laughs) while I realize in South Africa, maybe many people these days have air conditioning, it's pretty atypical to have it in your whole house. The weather is hot, but it's a dry heat. It's not humid. That's the big differentiator. It's not sticky. Um, You don't feel gross all the time. You don't feel like your house is a sauna. And homes there really are built to stay cool. So generally they have tile floors, high ceilings, the windows are open all the time. Um, And that was just my childhood. So I often in America have resisted wanting to even turn on the AC. I I don't want to go from winter with heat on into spring slash summer with AC on. I want this beautiful period in between where the doors and windows are open, the breezes blow in. And then though, I want to get so hot that I have the option to turn on the AC. It's the American in me then kicks on and it's like, well, you know, it's enough now. Let's have some some air conditioning. And our AC has been broken since last year when I shared on the podcast about how a demented mouse um, committed some form of harikiri by jumping in between two connecting nodes of our unit outside and fried the entire system and himself. And (laughs) we've been saving our pennies ever since to get it fixed. And the most frustrating part is, Christy, that we actually bought finally the new AC unit. It is sitting in a box outside and we are just waiting for the AC guy to come and install it. And it is going to be in the 90s the next three days. So the American in me has sat up now, has told the South African to sit down and be quiet. And the American in me informed my husband, you better text that guy and tell him (laughs) he has to be here tomorrow because it's going to be 92 degrees. And it's not not funny anymore. The playtime is over. I'm sorry, I'm laughing, right? (laughs) As I laugh, it's so not funny. It's terrible. It's not funny at all. Oh, I feel you. Yeah, it's hot and sticky here too. And we lived in this house um, the first few years without any air conditioning, other than we could lug out some window units into our bed bedrooms if we got really desperate. But we had to be pretty desperate to bring them all the way from the basement up, you know, several flights of and stairs. I was and thinking about you this morning, I actually took comfort and I thought to myself, Christy and John lived for years at Maplehurst without AC. And I actually learned from you. I tell my children now in the late afternoons and evenings, we keep everything open. We get all the cool air into the house. Mm-hmm. Then we close up during the day. Because I used to think, mm-hmm. why does Christy have her windows closed all day when it's hot? Yeah. And you explained to me because you capture the 
cool air. You hold it in your house Try all day. And then in the evenings yeah. and early mornings, you open up again. And Christy, you'd be so proud. That's, what, that's how we've been surviving over here. I'm glad. I'm glad that was helpful. And I admit as well, Lisa Joe, that there's like the old... The, the old Maplehurst Christie and, and the current Maplehurst Christie and the uh, old Maplehurst Christie, you know, learned how to live with it. It just learned how to adapt. I, I got pretty good, um, Jonathan and I both, at looking at the bright side, which for us often meant that on really hot, sticky days, sometimes a storm would come in or a sudden breeze would kick up in the afternoon. And because we didn't have air conditioning, we were aware of it. We would often be sitting on the front porch or we would... Notice as soon as the temperature changed. And so John and I, I can't tell you how many times we'd sit on the porch and I would hear the chug, a chug, a chug of all <laughs> the units, right? In, uh, of our Around neighbors' you. homes. But we wouldn't have that. And we'd sit on the front porch and I would say, you know, no one else realizes that this breeze, this cool breeze kicked up. No mm. one else realizes that there's been this sudden shift, but we do <laughs> because we don't have air conditioning. But I tell you, Lisa Joe, yesterday the stickiness set in. And I remembered that and I, and it reminded me, I was like, oh yeah, this is what it used to be all the time. And I'd go sit on the porch and then I shut the windows and turned on the air conditioning <laughs> <laughs> and I was so relieved that I could do it. <laughs> so you have my sympathies. I do think it's good that you're embracing it. You're leaning into it. And also, oh, I pray that your air conditioning gets me fixed too. like ASAP. But it is visceral. It's your body sitting up and saying, oh, it's summer. Like we've crossed yeah. over into yeah. that. And there's something really beautiful. So when my kids have really been struggling, I tell them, it's just so great though, isn't it? You were so cold and now you're sweaty and hot. And that is how you know it's <laughs> summer. And they just give me the dead eye look, you know, like I can look out my window and know it's summer. I don't have to feel it in my right. sweaty clothes. <laughs> and we're all very inappropriate right now, like what we are all wearing around the house and to dinner. It's definitely, we've crossed over into the no care zone anymore. I feel like Jim Gaffigan from last week would really appreciate the current state he of would. our house. <laughs> and nobody feels like they can do chores or laundry because everything is too hot. The last thing you want to do is cook a meal with the stove on or the oven. And so mm -hmm. there's been a lot of takeout. So for a while, we were living our best lives in that regard. And now just playtime is over and we need to be able to turn on the AC. So, yeah, but we know it's yeah. summer. So in case anybody was wondering here in the Northern Hemisphere, it is officially definitely summer in America. That's right. June has arrived. And I thought about that, that Lisa Joe, as I was thinking and kind of preparing for our conversation today. I'm thinking about, I actually was standing this morning downstairs um, in our little front parlor room in front of the bookshelves, just looking and looking. And there were so many options. I pulled a few books off the shelf and thought, oh, it'd be great to talk about this. Oh my goodness. I wonder what Lisa Joe would make of this. But I put those books back because I felt like, um, yeah, here we are headed into summer. And my reading does shift this time of year. Um, and I think it does for a lot of people that moving into that warmer weather. Maybe we're going on vacation. Maybe we have plans to sit at the beach or the pool with our kids. We're picking up different books. And so there was a few things where I thought like, no, I, I wouldn't take that to the pool or mm -mm, no, that, that would never go in my beach bag. And, um, but there's a whole section <laughs> on my shelves and I spent the most time just studying that whole section, because I knew um, not only are these the books that I return to again and again, I have returned to them my whole life. So, of course, we have to talk about them on the podcast. But also, these are books that I really especially love for the pool, for the beach, for this time of year. When I want 
comfort, when mm. I want just the things that um, are the most familiar and the most fun for me. And, you know, I don't want necessarily literary experiments. <laughs> I want some predictability. I want to kind of know, oh, okay, this is this kind of book. And I know I have a sense um, of what to expect. And so for me, Lisa Joe, those books are detective novels. Which, okay, that's really. <laughs> <laughs> right. Not you like. What? Yeah, you weren't expecting that, were you? Yeah. I, that maybe doesn't like comfort, what would it be like? cool, summer. I'm thinking right, like. Right. Cookbooks or gardening or like lighthearted sort of kind of romance stuff or, or yeah, yeah no, but right. like detective no. for me is like the whole so I'm picturing summer and I'm, I'm hot and sticky and sweaty and by the pool but a detective novel when I picture it mm-hmm. I'm now in like a bleak rainy overcast day it's dark oh, yeah, yeah there's maybe some lightning in the sky <laughs> like it's yep. not really reading summer to me. <laughs> And I think that may be part of it for me, right? Like if I'm hot and sweaty, yeah. I want to read about, I want to read about like a gray, rainy day in England somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't actually think, so that's a part of it. But I think what I mean by comfort is more about reading a genre where I am really aware of the, the rules, the boundaries, reading a, a genre where Assuming the author, you know, adheres to the tradition of the detective novel, going into it, I already have a sense of what to expect. Also, I think um, detective novels, and we can talk a little bit about this, they're they're often like um, puzzles wrapped in stories, mm. and puzzles keep me turning pages, and puzzles are fun. So, mm. um, or actually, I'll just say these are the, the one kind of puzzle that is fun for me. Jigsaw puzzles are not so fun for me. <laughs> Sudoku and crossword, right. not so fun for me, right. but detective novels, that is a puzzle I can get into. So that's so interesting, Chrissy, because you and I have often talked about how I love to reread. So I reread a lot, and I know you don't tend to do it as much. Right. But this is the equivalent of that, because if you are reading something for a specific formula, you are yes. looking for the same experience I enjoy when I reread. My, I found my daughter tends to be the same way with favorite TV series that she likes. Mm. She'll just rewatch them over and over. So last night, there she was. She's convinced her father to watch with her. It's his first time and probably her 12th time watching the whole Miranda Sings TV show Aww. that she loves. And I think I listened to her delight as she watched with him. And I know it's largely based on the fact that she knows what's coming and she's anticipating it. And then she's experiencing it again through his first experience of it. So it's like Mm -hmm. a double joy for her. So I think that's what you're getting. Like you're getting that experience over and over. So it might be a new set of circumstances, Mm -hmm. but it's the same structure. And it's really comforting because you understand how it's going to turn out in the end. That's so Mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that is. I'd actually never... Yeah, I hadn't put that together. It has enough novelty, right? Because I do tend not to reread mysteries because, you know, once you know who done it, part of the pleasure is gone. Although there's certain ones that have enough going for them that I would reread. But yeah, so I'm reading something new, something that, you know, I don't know how it ends. It keeps me turning pages. And yet, especially if I'm returning to a series, and so that's really what I'm going to talk about today. If I'm returning to a series, then I'm returning to... uh, often the same setting, and especially, and this is why I'm talking especially about detective novels, I'm returning to a 
a person, a yes. detective, a character that I know. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. I love everything about this. <laughs> so Lisa Joe, this is also, I think, a conversation about growing up with with books. And so for me, detective novels aren't just something that I started reading, you know, as an adult, but were absolutely central to my first book experiences. So I have a vivid memory of um, being in second grade, being a brand new reader. And um, our class would visit the school library. And it was a really small library. I was at this little um, Christian school that had only been around a few years and uh, was just sort of slowly building its little library. And um, so it's just this small room where a whole class would go. And I remember seeing a book on a lower shelf. I'm sure it was put there for the new readers and thinking, oh, that book looks scary. And I wanted something <laughs> sort of scary. Well, um, the book I saw was the first in a series. I'm sure many of our listeners will know. Um, and it is called The Secret of the Old Clock <laughs> by pseudonym for many writers who wrote these books, Carolyn Keene. So Carolyn Keene, spoiler alert, she did not exist. <laughs> but she uh, that was the name on these Nancy Drew mystery stories. So what I didn't know, I thought I was getting a scary book. The cover made it look, you know, atmospheric and, you know, it said, um, the secret. Um, but actually what I was getting was a kid's version of a detective novel. Mm. Um, Nancy Drew, of course, being the, the, the word used in these old fashioned books was, um, sleuth. Yes. She was, she yes. was the, the teenage sleuth. sleuth. Such a great <laughs> word. <laughs> Who always had like, um, uh, pumps that matched her handbag and maybe some gloves. <laughs> and she drove a little, what did she drive? A little, uh, she had a little, um, she could put the top down on her little, I don't know what it was, her little convertible something or other. And uh, so, yeah, she was the stylish, you know, teenage sleuth. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't so much getting scary books. And I have a feeling we'll have a whole other podcast about scary books because I do love scary books. I love ghost stories. Um, there's, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. But detective books, what I was actually getting are, are different. They are these puzzles wrapped in stories. They have these um, predictable, you know, characteristics to them. They center around this. They have this kind of moral center in their detective. And Nancy Drew was the center of these books. And she was... Um, she was someone who brought, who would encounter strange things or things going wrong or broken things. And she would make sure that it was put right. She was, she would make sure that people were mm -hmm. held responsible. She would make sure that, um, you know, especially in the secret of the old clock, there are these people, old, um, some older retirees, a very young girl, and they are suffering. Oh, there's some, also some young girls who, um, you know, have, are, are about to maybe lose their home, I think. And it's all because of this mystery. And in solving the mystery, she puts everything right for these mm. people. And the books always end with, um, sort of domestic relational moments of of celebrating the fact that now things are okay. Now mm. the little girl has a future. Now the older woman has a retirement income again because the mystery of the will is figured out or whatever, mm. you know? So I think that that like strong moral center, I don't know, it made me want to be Nancy Drew maybe, or it just made me feel better that there was a Nancy Drew in the world. <laughs> Did you ever read the Nancy Drew book? It's so funny because I didn't. So I've heard of her, but I didn't. I do think I read my very first 
mystery that I can think of was, and I'm sure you've read it too, was Swallows and Amazons. Oh, yeah, Do you remember yeah. that classic uh-huh. children's story about the kids who go camping and there's uh, one family where it's all girls and one family where it's boys and they have these boats that they can race. And it's, you know, out in the days where parents would let their like eight, mm-hmm. 10 and 12 year olds go out on the lake with their own sailing boat and have mysteries for days and go camping. And um, my mom really loved that book, but I didn't, I don't even know if we, if I knew of Nancy Drew is, is it an American author? I think probably. Yeah. I'm sure they were made. Yeah. They were made by some American publishing company and um, I don't know the whole history but but the first series I really remember getting into that was a like a mystery detective type series even though these characters just like how Nancy Drew probably well I guess she's described as a sleuth but it wasn't like she was setting out to be a detective right 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 she stumbles Mm -hmm. upon these mysteries and then she keeps asking questions so I had a similar experience. I was on my my family owned a huge sheep farm growing up and every holiday of my childhood that is where we would go. We would go to the farm and it was probably like an 8 or 9 hour drive from our house. And because my father was a doctor living in Pretoria in the big city, obviously he wasn't farming full time, but he had inherited the farm and he had a farm manager who ran the farm and the farm manager had four sons. So when we came to visit, most of his boys had already grown up. They were much older than us and left the house, but we would stay in the bedrooms and there was their bookshelf and it was a boy's bookshelf. So it had boys books. And there was this series of books that was in the bookshelf that I started to read. And it's funny because I associated so strongly now with those holidays because I would be like, oh, what one have I not read in this series? So some people may have heard of this series. It's by Willard Price. And they just call it the Adventure Series because he wrote all these different books called Safari Adventure, Lion Adventure, Deep Sea Diving Mm. Adventure, Mm. um, Jungle Adventure. And they are all based, a lot of them are based in Africa and they're based in like the 60s and 70s because that's when he grew up. So they're on like these big game reserves or in countries, you know, game reserves that don't necessarily exist anymore or they're in countries that were still called Rhodesia instead of Zimbabwe. There's a lot of very interesting cultural conversations about the British Empire, you know, its reach across the world. But it's stories about two brothers. They're just these two brothers, Hal and Roger. And they travel with their dad and they end up stumbling on these adventure experiences and there's always a mystery component. So there's somebody who's poaching all the rhinos and they have to figure out who it is or they are in China and there's someone who's trying to you know, kill panda bears or whatever. But it's always these two brothers, but you know, the formula is the same. They're always at some exotic location and they always stumble upon some injustice usually related to wildlife that they solve. Mm -hmm. And like you, the, the joy really came from hell and Roger, like Mm -hmm. getting to experience these adventures through them and getting to, to know though, that it will work out. Like in the Mm -hmm. end, it will be okay. And I remember, I I can even remember the bookcase, like this little white chippy bookcase in the corner of the room where the books were and on the farm, you know, we spent most of our days like riding horses or milking cows or whatever. But by the afternoon, you're hot, you're sunburned, you don't want to be outside anymore. There's no air conditioning. <laughs> and, 
you're lying on your bed and you just want to read something. And I remember reading those. And then the, but in the other series that was really big for me at the time, and I'm so curious if you read these because they are, we haven't talked about this, but they're like a graphic novel series, is The Young Detective Tintin. Do you remember the oh, Tintin, Tintin series? Sure, yeah. No, I didn't read Tintin, but my one of my sons got into Tintin, and so he I became was a little more huge familiar for me, through him. Huge. And again, it was because cousins, I had male cousins who had literally like the entire Tintin series, and I mm. just, anytime we visited them, I would borrow or read through this whole series. And it really did ingrain in me, too, that sense of the familiar, which mm-hmm. is why I think... It is hard for me now to start new detective series because I don't know. I don't know. Can I trust the detective? Will I mm-hmm. like him? Will it be creepy? Mm-hmm. And it and so I obsessively will look for books by an author I like to get another one by the same voice because I know mm-hmm. what's coming. But I've often thought your reading is much more courageous than mine because you'll try anything. And I yeah. <laughs> tend to constantly feel like when I pick up a book, I'm walking into a room with a stranger and it makes me uncomfortable and I need a mediator. So my mom would always be the one who'd say, you need to read this or you need to read that, which is why I love doing this with you because I have a feeling the author you're going to talk about today, I, I've not met her yet, but you are a trusted friend. <laughs> So now I can feel safe trying a new series. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, that's right. The The book I've brought to the table, to the conversation, is one of a series. I just, um, I think some of these I've read from the library. I don't have all of them on my shelves. So I just, you know, grabbed one that I do have. Um, but of course, it's the series that will be important. And I feel like this should be, we should have a little... Um, out of the Ordinary Books Manifesto. Okay. And if we did, this would be on the manifesto. Okay. Thou thou shalt read a series of books <gasps> in, order? in order. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Cosign. Yeah. So, you know, it's less, it's more important with some series than others. Um, but I just feel like, you know, don't, don't mess with that. Just right. do it. So, of course, you know, we, you can read these in order. But um, the books, before I even tell you the name of the author... Uh, for me, these books, and, and these are the kinds of detective novels that I look for and return to and keep exploring. I've been exploring for decades. And these would be novels who are writing in what I think of as this golden age mystery tradition. Hmm. So this would be um, the golden age is often thought of as like the 1920s, 30s, 40s writers like. And this was another, once I graduated from Nancy Drew, I found Agatha Christie. Hmm. So Probably in a maybe future episode, we'll say more about her. But in middle school, I discovered the body in the library. And actually, I wish this is the one moment, Lisa Joe, where I wish we had a visual video component to our conversations, because then I could show not only you, but also our listeners, the actual copy of my first Agatha Christie that I must have got in like sixth or seventh grade. It's so clearly an 80s paperback cover. Love it. (laughs) She looks like an 80s soap opera star on the cover (laughs) of the the body in the library. And this is a Miss Marple murder mystery. So Miss Marple would be um, the detective figure in in these books. But I think I ordered it from, uh, so in, they still do this in schools. They have like book fairs or scholastic magazines that would come out and you could sort of get cheap books ordered through your teacher or whatever. So that's where I ordered my first um, Agatha Christie's. So Agatha Christie would be one, Dorothy Sayers, um, even G.K. Chesterton, his father, Brown Mysteries. I mean, these uh, 
uh, Marjorie Allingham. These are writers who are those sort of that golden age, who actually many of them were part of an actual, it was called like the Detectives Club or something. Like they had a club in England where there were sort of tongue-in-cheek rules for these writers. They would get together for dinners and things, and they would have to follow these rules in their fiction, like actual rules for the genre that they sort of agreed, <laughs> agreed to follow. Um because the because the kind of boundaries and traditions of the genre were so important. Um, but there are still, I think, detective writers writing in that tradition. And one who wrote for many decades, um, a phenomenal writer, is P.D. James. So she is uh, well known as kind of an exemplar of cl- sort of classic detective fiction. She wrote a few other kinds of books. So some of our listeners may know the movie, what's it called? Children of Men came out a while back. That's based on one of her books that isn't a a detective novel. Also, they made a, um, I think a BBC TV version of Death Comes to Pemberley, which she actually wrote. um, So she wrote that? Yeah. So she wrote, it's almost as if uh, Dar- what are their names? Oh my gosh, I'm forgetting Jane Austen's <laughs> characters. Yeah, Darcy and well, Darcy. It is. It's, it's as and if they've Lizzie. been married for years, and then it's so picks yeah, up. they've been married now at Pemberley, and now like there's a there's a mystery, there's a murder mystery, and right. so it's like me, it's like a, a it's it's bringing a Jane Austen. She writes very much in Jane Austen style, and then brings it this kind of conventions of a murder mystery. I okay, so first I have to interrupt you because I've never heard of her, this author. I have I've as soon as you were started talking about her, I Googled her immediately. And secondly, I loved Death Camp Comes to Pemberley. I thought it was wonderful. Didn't know yeah. it was based on a book and didn't yeah. know it was this author you're talking about. And yes, now she feels trustworthy fun. to me because I really loved how that story arc turned out. Yeah. So she she's a very um yeah, she's just a, a master of this genre. Um and she wrote a whole series of books. She's well known for her these are these would really be her detective, her main detective series. Adam Dalgleish. I think you say his name I, I, Adam Dalgleish. That's how I say it in my head. He is uh, her main detective character, and I think there are 14 books in that series. And so he is um he's like a British detective chief inspector. So he's like an actual police detective. But this tells you a little bit about just the, I think, thoughtfulness and elegance of her stories. Yes. He is not only a detective, but he is a poet. He writes poetry. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that's, yeah. Is it any wonder that that I love? I love these books. So I have brought, um, I think this is actually the last in the series, The Private Patient. So this series started back in the 60s. I think she wrote the first one. And then the last one she wrote in 2008. So it spans, you know, quite a a long time. But of course, um, Adam, you know, he ages slightly. His life circumstances change slightly, but um, not, you know, 40 years worth, really. And um, yeah, so The Private Patient is is the last one. And I'll just read the opening only because this is when I'm talking about the comfort of a classic detective novel. Yes. It's something I think that is signaled right in the first paragraph. Certain things are set up. A path lies before you. Okay. And I, I just do that deep sigh thing where I think, okay. I will settle in. <laughs> I'll pay attention to the details. I'll try to gather the clues. 
because here we go. So uh, this is how, this is the opening of The Private Patient, which is the last of, of the Adam Dalglish mysteries. So don't read this first, people. Go and start with the first exactly, one. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. On November the 21st, the day of her 47th birthday, and three weeks and two days before she was murdered, Rhoda Gradwin went to Harley Street to keep a first appointment with her plastic surgeon, and there in a consulting room designed, so it appeared, to inspire confidence and delay apprehension, made the decision which would lead inexorably to her death. Oh, what a great <laughs> opening paragraph. I, I don't judge a book, but I'm sure I interrupted you. I, I don't no, no, judge it's a good. Book, We're good. I don't judge a book by its cover. I always judge it by a first paragraph. Always. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, would you agree with me, Lisa oh, Jo? Oh, that's outstanding. That, that is just a, a classic. Yes. Ah, here we go. But it's here also so well written because it opens a story loop in your mind. Now yeah. you have to understand what happened. Oh, it's so excellent. Yeah, I would say that her, so she's a very elegant writer, um, beautifully crafted sentences. She's not, and this, you might get that as well from this opening paragraph, not overly emotional or sentimental. They're very cerebral and restrained, but you always have a sense of like deep waters, you know, in, mm. in Detective Dogleash and Adam. Um, but, they're they're not you know sometimes I find and so they're they're kind of the best they're the best of this genre for me because they aren't um, you know some mystery some detective some crime books can get so violent and gory oh yeah I and can't I don't do like that. that right but also on the other hand some cozy mysteries can just get too sweet and saccharine yeah. and sentimental and she just cuts this really sort of sharp huh. path between the two where it's not ugly, crazy violence. Um, it's not like just evil oozing that just, you know, mm -hmm. ugh, you don't even want to touch the pages. It's not that. Um, because again, you have this sort of beautiful, steady, moral center, mm -hmm. you know, this, this detective you can count on. Um, but at the same time, it's not, um, it's not lightweight. It's not silly. It's not overly cute. Um, it's, it, um, yeah, it just has this like classic detective elegance that to me is, is, yeah, just something I really take comfort in. It's, it's why this is the kind of book I read next to the pool or at the beach. It's just cool. It's cool. That's it. It just cools <laughs> like me it's right like down. Dick Tracy cool <laughs> vibe. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's interesting you talk about the moral center because clearly that's something that matters to us, not just as lovers of literature, but as believers too. Yeah. Um, and it's why we both love Louise Penny's books so much because Armand Gamache is such a core mm -hmm. moral center, um, which makes me want to unpack with you a little bit about the idea of, and I know in book circles and I mean, in TV shows, in movies, there seems to be this real embrace these days of sort of a nihilistic anti-hero mm -hmm. character. Yeah. And it's why I tend to be nervous these days when starting a new series when picking a book up off a shelf because I don't know. I don't know who the guy or the woman is going to be and I need them. I don't need them to be perfect. I like right. my heroes to be flawed. I think one of the series I've talked about a lot in the past is Dick Francis's mystery series and he tends to have 
different detectives, but every now and again, he has one detective he comes back to. But his heroes are always very much uh, everyday. They're everyday men. His heroes are always men. And um, but they're flawed. They aren't perfect. They don't expect to be heroic. Usually, they're surprised themselves to find mm-hmm. themselves in the situation where they have to show great acts of courage. But they don't mean to. They don't mm-hmm. intend to necessarily. But ultimately, you can trust them because they are going to come through and show incredible bravery, often in very difficult circumstances. I really struggle with what I feel like is. Let's see how I can explain this. So I have this theory that sometimes what we do in language or in writing is we're trying to subvert something. We're trying to be interesting or cutting edge or original. And in so doing, however, we actually take the lesser or easier path. And we try to tell ourselves intellectually, oh, but this is actually more daring or more exciting. But I'm but being good. And even more, writing about goodness is much harder than yes. writing about just evil or bad, ugly people. It's much more difficult. I actually have this conversation with my children who are teenagers now when we talk about bad language, so swearing. And I have this theory, and my mom, who was an English and Latin teacher, a lover of books too, she said it to me and I say it to my kids, that when you resort to just a bad word— and you use that word over and over the way some people use um, it shows a lack of creativity. It doesn't show that you're cutting edge or daring or hardcore. It just shows that you're unoriginal. Mm-hmm. And and my mom would have said unintelligent. Like she yeah. actually went there. She said, your brain is not actually doing anything creative in that moment. It is using a word as a stopgap rather than digging in. And she would say this to me, you're angry. You want to use a bad word? Use different vocabulary. Find some way to describe how angry you are using better words. This is how I feel about the anti-hero. I get annoyed and I feel like, especially if a storyline is set up where you think you can trust a character who's supposed to be the moral compass, and then they obliterate that trust, they completely deviate it enrages me. It makes me so frustrated. And I'm curious what you think, because I think that is sold to us as if it's now a higher level of intellectualism. And I just, yeah. dis- I just straight up disagree. I, I am right with you. And I think this is why I, I still read so much detective fiction, even contemporary, recent detective fiction, and also watch, I don't watch a lot of TV, but, but nine times out of 10, if I am watching uh, a something on television mm-hmm. with my husband. It is a detective show. Yes. Often a British one, but sometimes American. And why is that? And this is why, Lisa Joe, I think it is and I'm I'm we're not going to paint too broad a brush. There are wonderful artists and writers doing all kinds of interesting work in all kinds of genre. Absolutely. And so we could you could easily come up with suggestions that that refute this. But just speaking generally, mm-hmm. if you look at maybe contemporary literary fiction, in much of it, I think good, evil, faith, Mm -hmm. spiritual battles, spiritual journeys, they're just not there. It's as if these things don't exist in our world anymore. But if you go to detective fiction, Mm. it is still there, even if we're doing this thing, which I actually think is is a good thing if done well, that our, our detectives are 
complicated heroes right. that they are they are not perfect maybe they have um, some past trauma they're working through I think that's something yes. um, I'm seeing a lot in recent TV shows yes. you know they've been wounded in certain ways or they've suffered and now they're they're dealing with that right. um, and they're on some kind of journey so that you know so there's this complexity maybe they've made mistakes but now again this is why detective fiction just cannot I think if it's done, really well and according to certain um, guidelines it cannot get away from like consequences and good and evil and choices and is that even if they these detectives have made mistakes you know maybe they've screwed up their marriage or they haven't been good fathers or whatever mothers they're they're dealing with that right right like it isn't just eh, this is what it is and and at the core there is this search for answers for truth for justice. So I have um so an example and I I um I haven't finished the series so don't take this as an endorsement but John and I just started watching um and we're only, we just were watching it because it was filmed locally and so just it it meant something to us to see some local scenes and to hear the local accent which is very distinctive if you know southeastern <gasps> Pennsylvania. I, think I know what you're going to say. Yeah, so there's a, a new series starring Kate Winslet. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy you're talking about this. Yeah, called Mayor of East Town. So and it is detect yep. it's a TV show, but it is a detective show. Yep. The people in it, super complicated. Yep. Lots of, you know, again, do not take this as as an endorsement. Just, you know, read up on it. Maybe it's for you, maybe it's not. Okay. Because again, you know, crime, <laughs> broken people, <laughs> you know, broken yes. people, troubled families. But it's filmed in our area, and uh, it it keeps us laughing at times because um, it, it features all the things that 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 are distinctive to to this area: hoagie sandwiches and the way people <laughs> pronounce water. Which water. <laughs> I'm not yeah. doing it correctly, but my own son, who has been growing up in Pennsylvania, will ask for a glass of water. Water. And when he water. And I when he does to it, I so many out. interviews with Kate Winslet. Where are you from? Are you from I'm, Pennsylvania? No, I know. Del- the Delco accent, Delaware the County. The Delco accent. I've listened yeah. to so many interviews with her now talking about it because we yeah. have loved the show for all of these reasons. Yeah, yeah. So we're really enjoying it as well. And I realized so she is doing she's a complicated character <laughs> and she is making some choices that, wow, not yep. good choices. And yet, here is why I keep coming back to detective fiction, whether in book form or TV form, is that she she is not deviating from this quest for the truth, Mm -hmm. for justice, to set things right in her community. And here's just a a small thing that I think often comes up in these books, whether they're written by Christians. And I believe, if I'm remembering, that P.D. James um, was a a lifelong Christian and an Anglican church member. Um, But often in these books, you have characters who are priests. Mm-hmm. Or ministers in the community, mm-hmm. um, you see that in Mayor of East Town that um, you know her her cousin is a priest, and so there is at least this figure of faith in the community that stands for something, even if it becomes complicated or it's questioned mm-hmm. or you know so on. Um, and so, yeah, I'm as much as I, I I watch this detective doing things that I think, oh my god! So John and I keep turning to each other, saying, oh my gosh, she's really terrible! Oh my gosh, can you believe she did that? And yet. <laughs> She, there is like love in her yeah. that is motivating her, yeah. right? She cares, mm-hmm. she loves, and it's buried beneath a lot of trauma, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's there. And so, so she, so I am just cheering her on, like, go, Mare, go, like, you yeah. can do this, you can, you can find the answers, you can set things right. 
And, um, and I think that is the comfort, mm-hmm. that deep comfort that I, I want in, that, in the world and that I find in my light summer reading that, I, that has been my, my comfort reading of choice since I was in second grade and discovered love Nancy that. Drew. <laughs> yeah. I love that the, part of the comfort cycle is that a broken character grows. And, yeah. and they change. Yeah. And they I change. think part of what's yeah. beautiful about detectives is detectives by their nature are observers. They are people mm. who notice things that other people might not. And so through their eyes, we get to see a much deeper story about the people around them that's yeah. not just surface level. So yep. often in those books, the people around them grow too, or we learn something about them. And there's a sense in which uh, we as the reader without ever being told or lectured or, you know, any version of self-help, we are pulled, I think is how I would describe it. There's like a, a, a current that pulls you along with that central character to want to grow and develop the way they are. So yeah, yeah. I don't know how long it's been since Peter and I have waited like on a weekly basis for the next episode for the next of episode, something yeah. as much as we did Lisa with Mary. I have East two Town. more to go. I'm going to watch them tonight. I'm so oh. excited. I almost stayed up way too yes. late last night to make John watch the rest with me, but he was falling asleep, so I couldn't. <laughs> well, we we actually, it's on HBO Max, and we'll link it here in case you're interested, which we don't even have, and I bought it just for a month so I could watch ah. this show because I had heard so much about it because of where it was filmed. The same reasons as you, I love Kate Winslet so much as an actress. Yeah, she's great. And um, what's funny, though, is the night, the on Sunday night was the final episode, and HBO Max crashed, like the website, <gasps> oh, the app, no. everything. Oh, no. And I didn't know. I was like, this is not happening. And it was so funny. I got on Twitter, and people were so angry. And they were like, the real mystery is, why did HBO crash, right, as the season finale is going live? <laughs> and they had all these memes using Kate Winslet's character and all the insane things she says in the show that they were tweeting at HBO Max. But it is exactly that, that it's funny because I'll say this maybe as we end. A good detective novel ultimately by the end might have felt comforting, but a good one I think makes you feel somewhat uncomfortable as you're reading it because yeah yes right it's asking hard questions yeah, it absolutely. is um it's it is unpacking the fact that there is evil in the world yes in a yes. culture that often is reluctant to even use those words anymore uh, the characters are making choices we wish they wouldn't make. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the hero is flawed in the, in the ways that make for a really compelling character, we grieve with the choices yeah. that they make. We do. Mm-hmm. But what it offers is that by the end, there isn't a pretty bow. That's not what we're looking mm-hmm. for. But there has right? been growth in some yeah. way. And there has yeah. been like a revealing. Truth yeah. has come to light. Truth has come out. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, that is the promise of Scripture ultimately. Ultimately, and as we talk about here, we believe that all stories, we really do believe that all stories are retelling of the one great Mm -hmm. story over and over again. And so, like you, I will now start to think of detective stories as my comfort food, (laughs) although I would not originally have said that. (laughs) Yeah, it's Christy's version of a beach read. I recommend it. If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. 
And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link.